Hello and welcome to episode two of Pound the Rock, an NBA podcast by The Score. I'm your host, William Liu. I'm joined on the program, as always, by my two fellow co-hosts, Joseph Gasharo. What's going on? And uh, Joe Wolfon. What up? Guys, we are available now on iTunes after the first podcast. Um, there's a bit of a delay. I mean, it's up on iTunes if you want to catch it, but iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts, we are there now. And... Um, this is an exciting time for the NBA, for sure, because we are heading into the last two games of the season for most teams. Um, and, you know, there's still a lot to be decided. I mean, you look at the Western Conference playoff race, uh, everywhere from, you know, fifth down to ninth. It's all in question. Uh, it really, everything will be determined. Um, all, all four first-round playoff matchups will be determined in these last uh, three days of the regular season. And so, let's just start here. Um you know, in this gaggle of so many sort of um, evenly matched Western Conference teams, which team uh, is the most? Which which is the third most impressive Western Conference team? Um, to me, it's the Blazers. I think um, just because I I had the most faith in what that team was able to do on both sides of the ball, um, and. To me, like, obviously, you know, we're talking Warriors and Rockets as the top two teams in the West, and uh, there are question marks about every team beneath those two teams, Mm -hmm. but the Blazers, to me, just check the most boxes, and I know their offense has really fallen off this year, but the fact that their defense has been so consistently solid pretty much from start to finish, and and their offense has started to come on uh, a little bit in the second half of the season, and they also just have a guy in Damian Lillard who can pretty much take over a game at any moment and between him and cj mccollum i I have faith in their ability to score when they need to and i was a little bit skeptical of their defense early on in the season but they've it's really borne out over the course of the year and i think uh what yusuf nurkic has been able to do on that end has been really impressive lillard's much improved on that side of the ball i think uh al farouk aminu does not get enough love but as a three and d guy he's come a a long way he's a really effective three-point shooter and you know, continues to be a really effective defender. Um, and I think their bench has, has been pretty underrated as well. Shabazz Napier's had a great year. Mm-hmm. Ed Davis, uh, perpetually underrated, a, a fantastic rebounder and a really solid interior defender as well. I just think they're the most well-rounded of those teams. Um, even though they've hit a bit of a rough patch lately, uh, that's the team that I believe in the most. Yeah, I mean, look, well-rounded is actually the key word there, really, because so many of these Western Conference teams, I mean, like, yes, they are impressive and they all have talents, but it's usually on one side of the ball or the other. Like, you look at, you know, I mean, Cash, you're going to you're gonna make the case for Utah, right? Like, Utah's mostly a defense. Like, they mostly make their money off defense, right? And and so many of these, you know, like in this conversation about which is the third best Western Conference team, I mean, a lot of them are one-sided. Yeah, I think I think so many of the teams in that mix are flawed. They have flaws. Exactly. You know, uh, none of them are perfect. And I think for a lot of them, they're just not as good as we anticipated they would be, whether you're talking about Oklahoma City, San Antonio without Kawhi, even Minnesota hasn't been as good as we thought they'd be. For me, I think, you know, when you get to this time of year, and especially going into the playoffs, I think what happens a lot of times is people stop looking at results as much as they should, and they start thinking about, um, you know, okay, Oklahoma City hasn't been that good all season, but they've got... Russ and they've got George and they got Melo so here's why they're now going to be good and that's fine I understand that but for me you know the results should not be lost in there and if you look at the results the Utah Jazz have been the best team in the NBA for almost a half of a season now they're 28 and 5 
in their last 33 games. Like, think about that. 28-5, and five, that's insane. Uh, and it's not like they've just beat up a cream puff schedule. Beating the Warriors twice in that run. Beating the Spurs twice. One at Toronto uh, in that run. Beat New Orleans twice. Beat Minnesota twice. Beat Portland. Beat Indy. Like, the results have been there. Gobert has been insane. You know, we already knew he was a transcendent defensive uh, talent and impact player, but what he's done this year is, is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, his effect on that team's been nuts. Donovan Mitchell, whether he wins Rookie of the Year or not, who knows, but uh, his ability to have the offensive impact he's had at such a young age as a rookie, crazy. Joe Ingles, I talked about him, uh, I think, last week as, as an underrated player. Mm-hmm. This is one of the steadiest, most reliable 3 and D guys in the league. Elite yeah. three-point shooter. Often guards the other team's best players and doesn't get the credit he deserves for it. You always know what you're going to get with him. Derek Favors quietly has had a very good bounce back year. And yep. speaking of underrated, one of the most underrated defensive players in the league. Ricky Rubio finally going to the playoffs for the first time finally, in his career. Bro. They finally got Dante Exum back. Mm-hmm. They had guys like Royce O'Neal stepping into the lineup and like making positive contributions. Quinn Snyder's kind of a magician he really as a is. coach. Yeah. You know, even if you look coming into this year, I thought the reason Utah would not be able to get to the playoffs because I looked at this roster and thought there's no way this team is going to even be able to score anywhere near an average level. It should be the worst offensive club in the And they're in a the middle league. of the pack offensive team which by efficiency, incredible. which is yeah. a testament not only to, you know, some of the things Mitchell's done, but Quinn Snyder especially. Mm-hmm. Um, they have the fifth best point differential in the NBA. So you just like start looking at all these things. When Gobert's on the court, their defensive rating would be the second best defensive rating of the last four years in the NBA. Like you start looking at all these things, and it's you know again on paper, I would never look at this team as a third best team in the West or a team that can make a deep playoff run. But at some point, you have to respect the results, and they've been there for Utah. Yeah. See, look, my only concern with Utah is like defensively, they're they're absolutely solid. It's just in tight games, who's going to be able to generate a shot? And you know, as much as. Uh, you know, like you mentioned, Quinn Snyder is a fantastic coach. He's like Brad Stevens West, basically. And, he, you know, he's his system has gotten so much out of these players. But aside from, you know, Donovan Mitchell, like who's going to create offense in that team? And if you have a team led by one guy that's a guard, it's really easy to sort of trap that guard and try to make other people beat you. And look, the Jazz, have, they, they have some other capable players, but it's not like you can reliably ask Joe Ingles to go off for 20 or – even Gobert to go off for 20. It's basically just Mitchell, who's very impressive. That's that's the rookie of the year campaign for Mitchell. It's 21 points per game as a rookie, like leads all rookies, leads his team. He's been phenomenal. Yeah, and you know, to your point, too, the reason I am concerned, you know, you talk about that offense, you talk about mm-hmm. the fact that so much of it is from this one guard, and it's a guard who has no experience dealing with the kind of traps and different kind of defensive schemes he's going to see in the playoffs. Like, if he is their only reliable go-to scorer, they obviously are in trouble. Mm -hmm. Well, I think what helps them out in that area is having a guy like Ingles uh, and Rubio, obviously, as well. They have a lot of different ball handlers and guys who can orchestrate the pick and roll. And so, hopefully, you know, if those guys step up, I think that'll take a lot of pressure off them. I think what's interesting about this time of year is people sort of change their perceptions of what a good team is or what a team is capable of. And, like... To me, there's a difference between a team that has the best players and like like a team that is the best team. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Like I feel like there's a case to be made that Utah is the best team of like that you know three through nine group, um, but they don't necessarily have the best players. And right. I feel like going into the playoffs, the perception tends to shift, right? And, and the teams that people have more confidence in mm-hmm. are the teams that have the best players, right? And that that's borne out, I think, over time. Um, it's not always true. 
and it's not necessarily going to be true this year. I think that's why a lot of people are going to have more faith in teams like the Thunder, um, teams like the Timberwolves, teams like the Blazers, um, because of the high-end talent that they have. Right. At the end of the day, yeah, if you're going into a playoff series, no one's taking Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert-led team over Russ and PG or, you know, over Jimmy and Cat. It's just mm-hmm. the way it is. Yeah, that is the way it is. And that's why I, I've got the Thunder as, you know, the most dangerous out of that, you know. I, I Again, I think it depends on sort of the question. If you're talking about, objectively speaking, which team is the best, I think it's probably between Utah and Portland, like you guys mentioned. But the team that's most dangerous is OKC. And, like, OKC has been doing this herky-jerky thing, like, you know, just like, which what what are you really? Like, they, they can be giant killers, but then somehow they would lose to all the other teams. Like, they don't have they've, – they've lost a bunch to the Nuggets, the Timberwolves, like – it's very strange what's happened to the Thunder this season, but I think the fact that they've beaten the Cavs, which they smacked the Cavs, 148 points in regulation on the road is, like, phenomenal. I know that that was, like, the height of, um, you know, the Cavaliers, you know, meltdown in January, but still, that's a very impressive game. They've beaten the Warriors twice, they've beaten the Rockets twice, and they've beaten the, the Toronto Raptors twice, right? So those three are, the, like, top teams in the league, and they've beaten them all twice, and they're the only team to do that this season. Um and, you know, when you look at it, like, their roster, it's not just that they have, like, three really talented players. Because I don't even think Melo is part of that top three anymore. Melo no, has had it, so many games where he doesn't even play in the fourth quarter or he's a negative impact and, you know, he's a defensive liability, whatever. But, I mean, like, the third guy is really Steven Adams. And Steven Adams has been so good on this team. And, and the reason why Steven Adams is really good on this team is because Russell Westbrook puts so much pressure going down like downhill and when Russell Westbrook is having one of those games he is legitimately one of the best players in the NBA because he is like so physically overwhelming and so like single-minded in getting to the basket and attacking that he will break you down and so you will send help and there's Steven Adams getting offensive rebounds Paul George if he could somehow find his shot it's not great that he said something feels weird about his shot mechanically right now you don't want to hear that out of your out of your um second best player but uh, on their best day, OKC can beat anybody, and that that's what they've shown this season. It's just that they've been really inconsistent. They lose games they shouldn't. They're like the Wizards of the West, and, you know, that's that's just where they're at right now. But uh, in terms of – I, I guarantee you, like, I don't think the, the Rockets want to see the Thunder, and I don't, want to see, I don't think the, the Warriors want to see the Thunder in the first round. Yeah, I mean, I said last week I think that would be a pretty tough matchup for the Warriors if that ends up being a first-round series. And to me, Steven Adams – his ability to offensive rebound is like one of the most elite skills that any player in the NBA has. And it plays up on the spender team because you have Westbrook, mm-hmm. who is the guy who's so aggressive going to the basket. And um, it, it allows him to change his mentality, I think, where he is just willing to kind of put his head down and throw up a shot with the confidence that, it, you know, if it doesn't go in or if he doesn't get a foul call, that Adams is going to be there to basically clean that up and they're going to get an extra possession out of it, or they're going to get, you know, a clean look at the rim off an offensive rebound. So um, that's really valuable. His screen setting is incredibly valuable, mm-hmm. and he's a really good defensive player. I think he's actually, like, the perfect complement to uh, to Russ and PG. Yeah, I mean, sure. Like you were saying, you know, Melo is not that third guy. Melo is a guy that they need basically to spot up mm-hmm. around pick and rolls and yeah. knock down catch-and-shoot threes. Adams is the guy who, who they need to do... Uh, a lot of the dirty work, and he's done that really effectively. So I, I, their win profile is really impressive, and the most impressive of of, mm-hmm. of those kind of like second tier teams in the West. Um, but again, I, I just like the consistent <laughs> consistency hasn't been there at all this year. So yeah, you know. and look, I think the one thing with OKC is also like their bench has been so putrid all season. 
um, that, you know, in the playoffs when you can cut down a rot- the rotational minutes and you can, you know, get it down to a strict seven, eight players, then you're looking at a much more different OKC team where you're not sort of randomly shuffling through guys like Josh Eustace in, in the middle of a game hoping that he can give you something. You just cut that down to Raymond Felton's your backup point guard slash shooting guard. Um, you know, I, I guess Patrick Patterson is your backup center slash power forward. Uh, and, you know, you have Alex Abrinas to shoot. That's it. And, but for the most part, you're going to have 40 minutes of uh, you're going to have 40 minutes of Westbrook, 40 minutes of Paul George, probably a lot of Corey Brewer, which is not great. But I mean, like and, and 40 minutes of Stephen Adams. And when you have that much talent going, going against you, I just think a lot of their issues get curbed. And, you know, it's not quite fair that, you know, they've kind of had such an inconsistent season and still people give them this benefit of the doubt. But that's what happens when you have stars, you, you know. I do think, too, you guys mentioned Steven Adams. Like, I think it's weird to say, obviously, when you've got Westbrook on the team and Paul George on the team, but I do think Steven Adams can be, like, the great equalizer against Mm -hmm. teams that are maybe a little better than them, strictly because when those teams go small, whether it's Houston or Golden State, one thing Steven Adams does not get enough credit for is how skilled he actually is in the post. His footwork is great, great interior scorer, very efficient. Good hands, too. Exactly. If you go small... People are going to assume, well, he's going to kill them on the offensive glass, and he will, but he's also going to kill you if they dump it into him in the post. Yeah, exactly. So, I don't know. I just think OKC is, is very dangerous, but, um, you know, ironically, OKC might still miss the playoffs. Um, you know, and so let me just ask you guys, which Western Conference team has the most to lose by missing out? Because right now it's a game of musical chairs, and there is five teams vying for four spots between five and nine. Um, and, you know, based on the last two games of the season for these teams, you could have one team that's going to miss out. So which which is going to be which team would be most devastated, basically, by missing out in the playoffs? I think it's got to be the Thunder. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, this is what we were talking about. Like they can beat the best teams in the league. They have two games to finish the season against Miami and Memphis. And would any of us be shocked if they lost both of those games? Like. Yep. I, I, Miami is a hard place to play. Yeah, it, it I really mean, is. they need one win to get in. And so you assume that they'll win that Memphis game. But again, like, I, I just don't know with this team. So for them, like, obviously, the, the big, you know, thing that's at stake is Paul George and his free agency. And he hasn't been shy talking throughout the season about his dalliance with LA the Lakers have already been fined for tampering with him it's no secret that he is interested in playing there that doesn't necessarily mean that he's gonna go and sign there but it's obviously been on his mind and he's also said all the right things about potentially wanting to stay Mm -hmm. but if they miss the playoffs I mean I think that kind of takes a blowtorch to their free agent sales pitch if this team couldn't even make the playoffs and again the noise around Russ, I think, is only going to get louder if that happens, too. It's there's- actually been kind of curious that there hasn't been that much noise around Russ, right? Because there's always so much talk about Russ, but Russ has kind of faded into the background this year. Like, mm-hmm. he's going to end, he's more than likely going to end the season with another triple-double. No one's talked about his triple-doubles all season. Uh, and also, like, it's – I'm surprised people haven't questioned Russ more about the fact that he's gotten better teammates, especially more accomplished teammates. And the results are the same as he had last year. Especially when you consider that, you know, and I know other people have talked about it too, but this, the fact that part of his no help yeah. last season in Victor Oladipo yep. goes to Indiana and becomes a top 15, top 20 player in the NBA. Even a guy like Sabonis, yeah. like, he had, he had 30 points over the weekend, right, in the game. Like, and, like, you know, I'm not saying that these guys are, you know, were fantastic, like, can't-miss guys, but 
Um, you know, you look at that, and then you look at how, like, George and Melo's numbers have tailed off when they've gone to OKC. Like, it, it's just the case against Westbrook is there to be made if someone wants to make it, if they, especially if they miss the playoffs. Yeah, for sure. And if you look at the, just the talent that has cycled through that organization. It's insane. Um, <laughs> to lose another guy you know, who has superstar talent for nothing would be mm-hmm. so devastating and so crippling for that team. I can't even imagine. And it's not going to get any easier for them to attract players to come and play with Russ when they see, you know, the the kind of... I don't want to say that, like, he doesn't elevate the talent around him um, because I don't think that necessarily falls on him. I don't think it's his fault that Melo's had such a poor shooting season. Um, and I do think Paul George has had a really good season. And I also think if you listen to what Victor Oladipo has said about his year in OKC, he'll credit that year for the turnaround that he's had in Indiana. So I, I don't think that you can lay that all at Westbrook's feet. The big issue to me is the fact that he still hasn't figured out how to play off of the ball. Yeah. Um, part of that is just the fact that he's not a particularly dangerous off-ball shooter. He also just doesn't so, move. He just stands in one place. He stands in one place, and so th- there's a lot that goes into that, right? Like, when he yeah. has the ball, he is taking a lot of contact. He's looking to get to the rim almost every time. He plays mm-hmm. a very physical game. So yeah. it's understandable that when he doesn't have the ball, he wants to take a breather and puts his hands on his knees. But, yeah, he doesn't move around. He doesn't create any kind of gravity. And that makes it really difficult, I think, for the guys who play with him to spread their wings, right? Because it doesn't make sense to have anybody else dominate the ball when they're playing with Westbrook because that kind of just kills your spacing and it kills your offense a little bit. So I don't know how you work around that problem. Mm-hmm. Probably an overrated defender too. Like I don't, you know, I don't want to pile oh, yeah, on yeah, Russ. Yeah. We all listen. I think Russ is a what top Phenomenal 10 player. player in the NBA. All NBA you know, player guy for sure. Triple double last year. I'm not, yeah, yeah. I don't want to pile on him. He is a transcendent talent, but when you do start to look at the flaws in his game, yeah, he, he's a very overrated defender because people just look at him, they see how physical he is. They see and, the steals. Exactly, and they'll see like a night like Saturday when he actually did lock up James Harden on two or three possessions in the fourth mm-hmm. quarter, and they think, yeah, like Russ, he's one of the only point guards that actually defends, but he's actually not a great defender, and he spaces out way too often. Like you guys said, he's the same way he stands around on offense with his hands on his knees, he does it on defense sometimes too. Like he, yeah. He just spaces out way too often. That said, OKC, third most dangerous. Right? <laughs> third most dangerous. Trust yeah. me, OKC but had a good day. Is, third is, most is, dangerous. As good as anybody. Also, yeah, that, I think for that reason, the fact that they, they could reasonably be argued as, you know, the third most talented team in the West, like mm-hmm. for them, that makes it that much more devastating, I think, if they miss the playoffs, right? And yeah. uh, I just think if that happens and if PG leaves and if... If you're stuck with Melo, making he even, $25 million. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Melo's going to opt in. It's going to be a bit of a mess. And, and, and if Paul George makes even the slightest, subtlest insinuation that the reason that he left was like he didn't feel like he fit in yeah. or he didn't feel like, you know, he was getting enough touches, like whatever it is, like it could be so subtle. People are going to pick at that wound. Oh, yeah. And they're going to, you know, the noise around, around Westbrook and whether he's a good teammate, whether anyone should want to play with him how good a team can be with him as their best player, like that's just going to increase tenfold. Yeah, you, you only get one crack at the whole now I do what I want uh, <laughs> marketing play. You know, like the first time it was cool, KD left you. If it happens a second time, you're not yeah, you're not yeah. getting that Cardi B I like track to do to do version two, you know? It's not yeah. happening. That's going to be Steven Adams next year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Steven Adams. Just, yeah, 10 yeah. offensive rebounds. He's going to get, get his own Lord track, I think. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I basically agree with the fact OKC's got the most to lose, but... Play a little bit of devil's advocate. I think you can also make the case for Minnesota. 
Um, oh, yeah, definitely. I think you look at what they did uh, the last couple of years, you know, starting with giving Tibbs the president and head coaching job, um, and then disappointing on the defensive end under Tibbs last year, mm-hmm. and Cat regressing defensively, and then they go out and get Jimmy Butler. Yeah. And I know the trade for him was a no-brainer, don't get me oh, wrong. Oh, yeah, yeah, for But sure. still, giving up a piece like Zach Levine. Even Laurie Markkinen. Yeah, and Laurie Markkinen, yeah. you know, the pick that turned into him. Those are... Significant assets. Chris They're Dunn not as good was a as top five pick. Yeah, yeah, like those are significant assets, and so to give that up to get Jimmy Butler because you're going all in on win now mode, right? And you got Tom Thibodeau as your head coach, and Andrew Wiggins is going to start making a gajillion dollars next year. Um, I think there's a lot of reasons why this team has the most to lose. You know, mm-hmm. this is they have the second longest playoff drought in NBA history. Yeah, thank and God when, for the Kings. And when, yeah, and uh, I think it's actually, actually the Warriors. No, it was the Warriors, I believe, or the Clippers. One of them had a longer drought in the. Have the, the Kings missed a playoff since like no the the Timberwolves current playoff drought is longer than the Kings wow. current playoff drought. fourteen years yeah and wow. it's the second longest in NBA yeah. history so you take that into account again you take into account them mm-hmm. moving the assets they did to go get Jimmy Butler Jimmy Butler his 2019-20 season is a player option so really after this year you have one year left yeah and if the Timberwolves don't make the playoffs this year now you're going into next year with Jimmy Butler potentially. Um, as a one-year rental if you're looking to trade him. Like, there's just so many questions that come up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you take Jimmy Butler out of this equation, as we saw when he's injured, they become the same old Timberwolves that they're not good enough. So if they don't make it this year and then questions start to come up about Jimmy, you know, you've got to ask the question of whether Tom Thibodeau even deserves his job anymore if they don't make the playoffs this year. Like, that's a team with a lot to lose. Yeah, especially since this is their all-in move. Yeah. They, they made their all-in move. They signed... Um, Taj Gibson. They signed, you know, um, Jeff Teague to a big contract. They even signed Derrick Rose as like a late season addition, which, I mean, Tibbs, honestly, Tibbs does so many things well and is such, like, in terms of preparing for a game, I don't think there's any coach in the league better than Tibbs, as meticulous as Tibbs. Um, But then, like, you know, he also just brings along, like, weird Tibbs tendencies, like, crazy minutes. I'm only going to sign players from the Chicago Bulls. Like, it's it's strange, and if it if it doesn't work this year, and like you can point to the Butler injury, of course that had a huge part in it, but like if if they miss the playoffs, that I mean like that franchise has also had a lot of attendance issues, which you know yeah. that happens when you miss the playoffs fourteen yeah. years in a row. You but, know, like when they had back to back rookie of the years, nobody was coming to those games, and that's that's a concern. Yeah, and I think their financial situation is going to become a concern as well because Wiggins has a monster extension that's about to kick in. It's always Cat- good to uh, <laughs> hand a max contract to somebody, but only if they promise to improve. <laughs> like, hey, man, please tell me you're, you care about this job. I care about that job. All right, here's 150. There you go. Like, all right, wow. Um, I care about that job too. But yeah, I mean, that's, you know, for, for a team that struggles to draw fans to mm-hmm. be shelling out the kind of dough that they're shelling out. And Cat's coming up for an extension this summer that's as well. Max. And they are going to have, I think, no choice but to max him out. Uh, so suddenly you've got Cat on a max. Mm-hmm. You've got Wiggins on a max. Yeah. You have Teague on like a $20 million a year deal. And you're one year away from Butler basically being an unrestricted free agent. So. Mm. They need to start getting some playoff reps for yep. their younger guys, for Wiggins, for Towns, and they need to start making some meaningful forward progress. Like, it's just, you know, it, it's time. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, and the thing is, too, like Will mentioned, you know, the Butler injury obviously hurting them, and that's fair, obviously. Oh, more You take fair, the yeah. best player off any team for as long as he was out, it's going to hurt. But I think it also highlighted how little progression has been made yep. within their, mm-hmm. you know, uh, whether it's Cat or Wiggins. 
they're not getting better. Like mm-hmm. Towns is a phenomenal offensive talent. Don't get me phenomenal. wrong, and he should be a great defender, but he's not. He's a terrible defender. Andrew Wiggins, for all of his physical gifts, should be a good defender. He's not. So again, yeah, the Butler injury is a fair thing to point to as an excuse, but it also highlighted some very concerning flaws in that in that roster. Mm. Speaking of concerning flaws uh, in a roster, the Sixers apparently no longer have any of those. The Sixers are the hottest team in the league. Um, you know, 14 straight wins. Dominant in the Eastern Conference. A lot of narratives about um, how maybe they can win the Eastern Conference. Maybe they can be that team to knock off LeBron. I mean, early in the season, it was how Boston can challenge Cleveland. Middle of the season was how Toronto can challenge Cleveland. And now here comes the Philadelphia 76ers, the Atlantic Division, back and alive and thriving. Three 50-win teams. Um, the Sixers winning 50 wins for the first time since Allen Iverson stepped over Tyron Lue and went to the finals. I mean, it's the Sixers, like, the hype for the Sixers is crazy right now. And, um, um, Wolfon, let me just get your thoughts on, like, how far can the Sixers team go? And is it, like, mostly hype right now? Or is it actually, like, a reflection of how much quality they have? I don't think you could call it hype at this point. And I think if Embiid comes back healthy, you know, whenever he does, uh, if it's in the second round, um, I, I still have confidence in them being able to win a first round series without him. So if he comes back healthy, I 100% think that they could go to the finals. And their last 46 games, they're 35 and 11. Uh, mm. They have the seventh best offense in the league, the second best defense, mm. a 9.1 net rating, which is tops in the NBA. Yep. So they've been the best team in the Eastern Conference for more than half of the season. And I think the big thing with that team is that they are really, really hard to match up with because of how big they are. Um, And at every position, they have a combination of size and skill that I don't think really any other team in the conference can match. And if you look at the Cavs, I think for me, their big weakness is they don't really have any interior defense at all. Literally none. And... (laughs) So that's something I, I feel like the Sixers would be in a unique position to exploit. And we've seen mm-hmm. that. They, you know, the Sixers have won their last two games against Cleveland, including the last one without Embiid. And LeBron had like an insane game. Jeff Green had an insane game. Yeah, but they, they gave up lost. 132 points. And That's always the Cavs issue, but they gave up 132 <laughs> points. <laughs> right. So, you know, uh-huh. Ben Simmons is like incredibly capable at – just like exploiting weaknesses in a defense, getting to the rim yeah. and making plays uh, on the move. Mm-hmm. Joel Embiid, a ridiculous combination of Scott, of size and skill and fluidity, um, his ability to post up, to put the ball on the floor, to make passes out of the post. I'm not saying that they're the favorite necessarily, but if you look at how they played, I mean, even if you look at the guys they picked up off the scrap heap, their buyout guys, mm-hmm. um, Marco Bellinelli and Ursan Ilyasova have played really well. And that's, that's shored up, I think, one of their few areas of weakness, which was the lack of outside shooting. They have, to me, probably the fewest weaknesses of any team in the Eastern Conference. And I think the one thing people point to as a reason that they can't come out of the East is just their inexperience. Mm-hmm. And that's something we'll just kind of have to wait to see on if it affects them at all. They turn the ball over a lot. They're a little bit sloppy and they they make some mental mistakes that I think come along with their youth and inexperience. But in terms of just like pure talent um, and the fit of that roster and the difficulty of matching up with them, I put them up there, you know, with any team in the East. Yeah, I think a lot of times what happens when a young team is like the up and comer, like breaking through and making the playoffs. The reason you can't ride with them is because they don't have 
you know, their their top players aren't ready yet to kind of like take that mantle, right, in a playoff series right. and be that best player. Uh, the Sixers have Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is not your typical rookie. No. And Joel Embiid, um, you know, with all due respect to guys like Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan or Al Horford, whoever they're going to be matching up with as the playoffs roll along, Joel Embiid would be the best player in a playoff series against any East team without LeBron James. Hands down. No maybe, question. Maybe Giannis. But, I mean, Giannis doesn't yeah. have the supporting cast. There's True. no Ben Simmons on the right. Bucks. Um, so, Philadelphia is a young team, but their best young players are very capable of being the best players in a series right. and taking over. Right. And then they've got great shoot, like J.J. Redick, one of the best shooters of all time. He's I, had a great season. Great yeah. season. One of yeah. the best of his career. He's, not, he's not worth $23 million, but... Hey, on a one-year deal, though, why not, right? On a one-year sure. deal? Yeah. Uh, my pie's on Marco Bellinelli shooting hey. 44% from three during this win streak. God damn. Um, Ursula has given them... Good minutes. Yeah. Uh, Robert flopped, Covington. He's for some charges, for sure. Yeah, Robert Covington's tailed off as the season's gone on, but still a good 3 and D option as, like, a, a glue mm-hmm. guy Yeah, um, with all those guys around him. Philly's been really good. Saric is a wild card. Like, Saric is yeah, one of those yeah. guys that he can have one or two games that completely swing a playoff series. And if he doesn't, then that's fine because you still have all those other guys. Yeah, yeah. So the Sixers are built really well. Brett Brown's a great coach who's finally getting what he's mm-hmm. always deserved. I mean, look at that defense. Like, he's always been a really nice defensive coach. And this season especially when he's finally had, like, you know, NBA caliber talent, this defense is insane. Yeah. Like, it, it's it's really tough to score on this team. Like, when Embiid's on the floor, they have a defensive rating of 99.7. And Embiid stayed healthy for most of the year. Like, his legs have stayed healthy, right? Yeah, okay, yeah, he got hit in the face by Markel Fultz, which is very unfortunate, but kind of funny that... Markel Fultz's <laughs> shoulder just causing all kinds of damage. This Yo, season, seriously, right? man. That, that shoulder <laughs> is the most... Yeah, I mean, seriously. But, I mean, even Fultz is back. And, and Fultz is kind of... Uh, he's been all right as just, like, a backup point guard. And it just helps their depth, right? Like, they're no longer having to play... Like, I don't know, Jared Bayless? Like, you don't need to play Jared Bayless. I mean, I might even trust, like, a Markel Fultz, you know, having not really played most of the year in a playoff series more than I would trust someone like Jared Bayless, right? And even those like, these little marginal things have really suddenly turned the Sixers into a more, like, just comprehensive team. And I think, you know, turnovers were definitely their biggest issue earlier this season. They would build these big leads, then they would commit a bunch of turnovers, and then they would suddenly lose. And it will be very frustrating the, those turnovers have really cut have been cut down the last 14 games you know all of which victories right like they're at middle of the pack in turnovers they're they're 12th and like you know that's that's good as long as they just keep the ball and don't turn the ball over they're much much better and the sixers are dangerous man the sixers are really dangerous they also have the third seed um which is a nice little path to get towards the um you know the eastern conference finals if they do you know make good on all this hype again the playoff picture in the Eastern Conference um, at the lower end between five and eight is still murky. I mean, all you know, all those teams have clinched on like the West. The West, you know, someone's still going to miss out. No one's going to miss out in that group. But it's still unclear who they will face in the first round. But I mean, I would pick Philly over any of these teams really if they face Indiana, if they face Miami, Milwaukee, or Washington. You know, yeah, I take the Sixers. They could beat any of those teams without Embiid, and I, maybe not Indiana the way, but like. Nah, I don't know. They could probably beat Indiana. Well, yeah. actually, it's, the thing but is with they, the Sixers, like you know, like they they can't really like what they are right now. The fourteen. I mean, look, they're so. probably not this good. Okay, but I, they at least have a decent shot, especially with home court advantage, mm-hmm. to beat any of those six to eighteen, like seed six to eight without Embiid. Yeah, and then if they get them back, like you mentioned, as the three seed, they're going to avoid Cleveland and Toronto mm-hmm. until the East final if they stay in the three seed. 
Also, you look at all of the big minute lineups across the NBA that traditionally dominate. Obviously, you've got the Warriors when they go to a death lineup. The Wizards have traditionally had a very good starting unit when Wall's healthy. The Raptors, the Raptors bench. all bench lineup. You look at all the big minute lineups in the league. The absolute best five-man unit in the NBA is the Sixers starting lineup of Ben Simmons, uh, J.J. Redick, Robert Covington, Dario Saric, and Joel Embiid. They outscore opponents by more than 21 points per 100 yep. possessions. Yep. They're lights out. They're really good. Mm-hmm. Also, if the Sixers beat the Cavs in the East Final, Man. I think the NBA, should, I think Adam Silver should mandate that Ty Lue has to lie down at center court and they have to call AI out of the crowd and he gets to step over him as the symbolic Sixers get into the finals. It would be awesome because then, uh, like LeBron, could also really just mimic Durant's move by by jumping ship and signing with the oh team. My. He could step the, over Ty Lue if he wants to as well. <laughs> um, oh, poor Ty Lue, buddy. Yeah, get healthy. No, get, get healthy. Ty. Yeah, get I, healthy, Ty Lue. I hope he gets enough sleep uh, this postseason. But thinking about what that Philly team is capable of uh, might not help. Um, not not just fourteen straight wins, but ten of those fourteen wins they won by double digits. Yeah, um, they're smacking teams. They're, they're yeah, they're not just squeaking by. Like they're absolutely asserting their dominance over the rest of the conference. And they played a bit of a cupcake schedule down the stretch, but at the end of the day, everyone plays the same schedule over the course of the season. Like they had a really tough schedule to start, mm-hmm. and you know you're still looking at a team with what the fourth best net rating in the NBA. So um, I don't think there's any real reason not to believe in them. Philly Utah Finals, baby, let's go! Oh my God, <laughs> Adam Silver's on the phones as we speak, baby. Um, all right, let's take a quick break. Um, we're going to come back on the other side with make or miss. Welcome back to Pound the Rock. Um, this is the make or miss league segment. Um, shout out to Dwayne Casey as always for inspiring the name of the podcast and also inspiring um, the name of the segment, Make or Miss, is a rapid-fire segment where we go through topics, and since this is the end of the season, um, we're going to talk about just the awards ballot, basically, and I think the one that's most e- easily decided, maybe the most interesting one, though, is Rookie of the Year, but, I mean, we already talked about that on the first podcast, like, it's Ben Simmons. He's putting up 16 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists, 1.7 steals, 0.8 blocks, uh, defending, you know, one through four, basically everyone except for centers. He's been phenomenal. The Sixers have been phenomenal. We just talked up the Sixers. And, you know, as much as, you know, you got to give credit to guys like Donovan Mitchell, especially even Jason Tatum for stepping up for the um, the Boston Celtics. And there's, it's been a really nice rookie class, but it, it's Ben Simmons. So um, let's just move on to the rest of the awards. Ben Simmons for Rookie of the Year. That one's easy. Um, plus, he's dating Tanashi. Um, first one, make or miss, James Harden is MVP. Yeah, it's a make for me. Uh, I don't. I, I, LeBron's come on really strong in the last what couple months. I think he's playing some unbelievable basketball. But if you're looking for just consistent excellence over the course of the season, combining unbelievable statistical production with unbelievable team success, leading the Rockets to the best record in the NBA, uh, putting up just staggering numbers, leading the league in scoring, um, and I think what second in assists. Um, he's, he's up there. Yeah, he he's really not only just like the way that he's played, but the way that he's put his stamp on that team and that team's identity has sort of been like just an outgrowth of what he's been able to do. Again, like to me, he he's easily been the best offensive player in the league, and 
in past years, I feel like the knock on him would have been his defense, but I don't think his defense has been that bad this year. And again, if you're comparing him to who I feel is like his closest challenger in LeBron, I don't think LeBron's been any better defensively than Harden's been this season. So I feel like that's a no-brainer at this point, but... um. You know, I, I'm open to dissent on that front. Yeah, no, look, I, I think if it wasn't for what you mentioned and the fact that LeBron has not been any better defensively this season and his team is atrocious defensively with or without him, mm-hmm. you know, I think if it wasn't for that, you could definitely make the case for LeBron winning another MVP's average triple-double basically for the last couple months. Um, the fact that the Cavs are even going to be in that 50-win range is pretty ridiculous when you consider that without him, this would be like a 25-win team, and I'm not exaggerating. They're bad. Yeah, they're awful. Yeah. Uh, but like Joe mentioned, when you consider everything that Harden's done and the fact LeBron hasn't played defense, um, Houston's going to finish in the mid-60s in wins. Yeah. That's with Chris Paul missing more than a quarter of the season. That's with, you know, as good as Houston is and as great as the roster makeup is, they don't have a ton of offensive options, like go-to offensive options um, after Harden and Paul. So with Paul missing that much of the year, the fact that Harden's carried that team to 63, 65 wins, whatever they're going to end up with, is pretty phenomenal. I'm going to have to go with the make. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Although LeBron is having a better offensive season than any of his, his previous four MVP seasons. Which is so, insane to think about. Right? I mean, I don't know. Plus, LeBron's had a lot of clutch plays of late. And he's yeah. made better highlights than Harden. And he's played every single game. And, and, and he's going to. He, he's, yeah. he's, he's basically said, I'm, I'm going to play these last two games against the New York Knicks. Which is really weird. King of New York. King of yeah. New York. Um, next one. Make or miss. Brad Stevens is coach of the year. Uh, I will go with a make on that. I think there are a lot of deserving candidates this year. Mm-hmm. And a lot of guys who you could reasonably argue should win this award. Right. Uh, a lot of guys who will justifiably feel snubbed if they don't win. But to me, Stevens is the guy who I think has been able to do the most with the least. And losing Gordon Hayward five minutes into the season... Figuring out a way kind of on the fly to remake that team around Mm -hmm. Kyrie Irving, singular talent, and then this collection of unknowns, you know, like young guys, rookies, sophomores, role players that I think a lot of us hadn't even heard of before this season. Uh, The system that he's crafted there and the way that he's kept those guys competing, the fact that they've been number one in defense pretty much the entire season Mm -hmm. has been pretty astonishing and then to cap it all off they lose Kyrie Irving and immediately go on a six game win streak all coming against playoff teams basically yeah uh and a lot of them on the road too. yeah like I don't know you know what he's putting in the water there how he keeps motivating those guys or or how he's coached them up to the point that they just like always make the right decision always know where to be yeah and play so well together uh I think he has to get credit for that and like the season they've had has just been mm-hmm. unbelievable when when you consider all the adversity they've faced and uh, the way they've come through it i think stevens and quinn snyder have done the most with the least but i think look we cannot name anyone coach of the year in a segment called make or miss league yep, except for right. the man who says trumpets that phrase about 13 times a press conference mm-hmm. and that's uh dwayne casey but in all seriousness the job dwayne casey's done this Phenomenal. year is incredible and has done what, you know, is probably the hardest thing for a coach at this level to do, and that's change his style, change yep. his philosophy. Yep. They completely revamped the offense. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got this all-bench unit that outside of C.J. Miles is all kids, all rookie sophomores, maybe a mm-hmm. third-year player. That's just eviscerating the league. He's been one of the best lineups um, in the league all year. His player development, 
doesn't get enough credit. Everyone gives it to Masai Ujiri, which is fair. Masai Ujiri's put together a solid staff. Right, but right. Dwayne Casey has to get some credit for the way all of these young guys, few of who actually had you know high hopes when you look at the mm-hmm. way people were talking about them, the way they've developed under his guidance has been incredible. Right, right. The way DeMar DeRozan has developed as a player under his guidance has been incredible. DeMar mm-hmm. DeRozan's arguably a top 10 player in the, in the NBA this season, which mm-hmm. is nuts. Yeah. Um, you know, the way he's constantly massaging that relationship with Kyle Lowry and the way he's done it all... His teams might win 60 games. Yep. They've got the best point differential in the Eastern Conference in the last six years. Yeah. Like, just laying waste to the conference. And the majority of the league, right now, they have the second best record in the league. They've pulled out of the Warriors. Yeah. Uh, so, I think I think it's got to be Dwayne Casey. Yeah. I think, look, it, it's very close. It's definitely very close. It's just hard to, like, it's hard to argue, like, the young players thing for uh, Brad Stevens without mentioning that, you know, these were number three picks. Like, lottery picks. Whereas if you look at the Raptors um, and the guys they've relied on, Fred VanVleet's undrafted. He's the best guy off that bench, right? DeLon Wright's a 20th pick in not a very strong draft. Um, Jakob Pertl's the number nine pick, which is probably the highest out of all these young guys, you know, in a not not a very strong draft, right? Um, Pascal Siakam, 27th pick. You know, like even OG Ananobi, who's had to start for the Raptors, 23rd pick. Like, you know, these guys didn't even have pedigree coming to the thing. So I, I, I would give the edge, narrow edge. I think these two are very close, Stevens and Casey. But because the Raptors have, you know, they're going to win. They've already won the East the first time in franchise history. They've changed the style of play. And, you know, if you're going to give something to a tiebreaker, you give it to wins. And, you know, the Raptors are in the mix to win 60 games. And, you know, you got to give Dwayne Casey a lot of credit for that. Next one, Rudy Gobert, Defensive Player of the Year. No question, that's a make. Yeah, we talked about it in the in you know my rant about the Jazz, but yeah, uh, the way he transformed that team when he got back and just mm-hmm. his singular impact on that defensive end to me is unlike a lot of guys I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the only real argument against him is that he missed a bunch of time, but I honestly feel in the games that he's played, which I think he's going to finish with what something like fifty six, fifty seven games played, he has dwarfed what anybody else has done at the defensive end of the floor um since he came back from that second knee injury jazz have a 97.9 defensive rating uh the second best in that time is philly at 101.5 so they've just been like so so much better than any other team at the defensive end since he came back and the number of weight like there's a ripple effect with him being on the floor right like his ability to basically just blow up pick and rolls because of his length and his ability to challenge shots while also basically contesting the role mm-hmm. that's something that nobody else in the league can match and as far as modern nba defense goes i think that's by far the most important thing because what is modern offense it's you know pick and roll centric and if you have a guy on the other team who's routinely blowing up your pick and rolls then it's going to be really hard to score and, you know, that's before even taking taking into account his help defense at the rim, his shot blocking ability, um, and the fact that in most cases, he's also going to be able to do a pretty good job switching out onto the perimeter um, if, he has to, if he has to cover a ball handler. Um, I think he pretty much does it all and is very deserving of this award. Yeah, I agree. I think it was pretty established that he was the third best defender in the league based on the last couple of years of voting. Um, it was Draymond and Kawhi vying for one, and then Gobert as number three. Both those guys, Draymond has sort of taken a step back and, and chilled, which is very strange for Draymond for him to chill, but he's kind of chilled this season, and Kawhi's been out. So there you go. Go Bear. Next one I think is also kind of inarguable. Lou Will for six-man. 
Yeah, definitely a make. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty insane, like the the way that he's been able to score off the bench. I know he, he's still a bit of a one dimensional player, although I think his playmaking has actually really improved this year. Yeah, for sure. And the fact that he has, I think, been the biggest reason that Clippers team was able to stay afloat despite the ridiculous slew of injuries they suffered early in the year, despite trading Blake Griffin halfway through the year. Um, the fact that they were in the playoff mix as long as they were, I think, is an enormous credit to what he was able to do. Mm-hmm. And I just don't see how that team would have generated offense without him basically coming in and torching teams pretty yeah. much every night. And he, he played basically starters minutes, right? Yeah, yeah. Just, just the fact that he came off the bench. But um, he, the fact that he was coming off the pine to average like 22 points a game, I think he took this award a long time ago and ran with it. Yeah, Chris Paul was right, man. The Clippers should run their offense through <laughs> Lou Williams and not Blake Griffin. Uh, Lou Will said it himself, I think, talking about his candidacy the other day. He said first, uh, first reserve to ever lead his team in scoring and assists. He's the sixth man, no question. Yeah, he definitely researched that. <laughs> you think Lou Williams is on, on his computer on, like, basketball, basketball reference, reference <laughs> game finder? finder? Yeah. yeah, oh, my God, that thing is hard to use. Um, but very useful. Thank you, basketball reference, for everything. Um, Victor Oladipo for most improved. I think that's also pretty obvious. Yeah, I think for both of those awards, they could be unanimous and probably yeah, yeah, should yeah. be. They right? should be, honestly. Easy makes. They're layups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> for sure. Um, Oladipo's a, like a, had a really cool season because coming into this year, I feel like he was a number two pick. And I don't know that anyone would have necessarily called him a bust. That wasn't a very good draft class. No. But... Anthony Bennett won one. That's right. And, um, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, well, like Ben McElmore went in the top 10. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, that that I think people probably would have said that as a number two pick, he was a disappointment. Yeah. And in one year, I think he's gone from being a disappointment to being better than pretty much anybody ever thought he would be. Yeah. He's an all-NBA caliber player yeah. all of a sudden. Yeah. And the, the number of ways that he's grown his game um shooting pull-up threes just absolutely dusting bigs off the Mm -hmm. dribble um a nightmare in transition absolute monster in transition and the way that he's lifted that indiana team that i don't think anybody thought had a chance to make the playoffs let alone have home court advantage um i don't know if they're gonna have home court but potentially they're gonna be a top five team in the east um and it's it's crazy. Like, I just, I don't think anybody saw this leap from him coming. And to do that in his fifth season in the NBA is pretty insane. After four seasons of, like, not, you know, incremental growth at yeah. best. Um, you mentioned the all-NBA caliber. Like, this guy might make all-defensive team or at least yeah, get some serious work. He leads the league in steals right now. He's a phenomenal defender, yeah. yeah. And it's hard to, it's, it's rare for someone who plays that hard on offense to also be that yeah. uh, aggressive on defense. Okay, last thing. Danny Ainge for executive of the year. I'm going to go miss. Yeah, I'm also mm. going to call that a miss. Okay, so um. who, who do you guys have? Because I think I think if you look at Ainge's um, profile here, sign Gordon Hayward, the star free agent of the offseason. It's big. Of course, Hayward got hurt, but you can't, you can't put that on him. Traded Isaiah Thomas and Jay Crowder for Kyrie Irving? Phenomenal. Just a phenomenal trade. It, like, you know, like, I, yeah, okay, ultimately it's really the 2018 Brooklyn pick, but who knows where that ends up. But he has Kyrie Irving, again, Injuries should not change that, right? Like he, ha- Kyrie Irving is one of he the. He should have known. He should have known. Who knows? Apparently, people did know that Kyrie did have this knee thing, but no one knew it was this serious. But still, they had Kyrie Irving. Kyrie was phenomenal for most of the year. 
And then the, the underrated one, he traded down from number one to get Jason Tatum plus another pick. That could be a lottery pick next or this summer, right? Like, and Jason Tatum has been phenomenal. He's been better than um, he's been even better than uh, Markel Fultz. Not even close, really. So, yeah, I mean, when you put it that way, <laughs> I, <laughs> no, I'm gonna, I know. I think, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just, I'm going to go Daryl Morey. Um, That's okay. my pick as well. Yeah, and it's to me. Um, you know, I don't want to uh, look down on signing free agents. Obviously, it's, mm-hmm. it's a very important part of the job in the NBA. Yeah, but I always judge um, executives a little more based on the trades they make as opposed to free agent signings because free agent signings, at least a little bit, just have to do with what the player wants to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. And sometimes you don't even have much control of that. Uh, to me, the most impactful acquisition of the offseason was Chris Paul. Okay. And the salary cap gymnastics, if you remember, that the Rockets had to jump through. Yo, they were, signing, they were signing guys off the street. Exactly. <laughs> to so just to salary. make that trade It was crazy, work. yeah. So Tim Quarterman got that, signed. That, that's not a real person. Maury pulled that trade off. It ended up being, to me, the most impactful acquisition of the offseason. And then, you know, I've talked about it before. I think um, outside of the Warriors being this once-in-a-lifetime team, for me, the Rockets are as perfect a team from the modern era, perfectly built team from the modern mm-hmm. era, that Daryl Morey's you know, the architect of that. He's got yeah, this yeah. team that's the perfect blend of playmaking, shooting, switchable forwards defensively. Yeah, Clint exactly. Capella has been a gem for them. Mm-hmm. For me, it's it's Daryl Morey. This team is is just too good for it not to be him. Yeah, I mean, I think even beyond signing Chris Paul, just the way that he filled out that roster was really impressive. Like, he pushed all the right buttons. Getting mm-hmm. P.J. Tucker, getting Luke Mbamute mm-hmm. on a minimum contract. That's Those crazy. guys have been unbelievable. And I think even going back a couple of years... Uh, there was a lot of head scratching, I think, when you signed Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon to those deals. And I feel like you're really starting to see the vision behind those moves. And he has really put together a pretty much perfect team with these two ball dominant guys who can absolutely go to work in isolation, mm-hmm. surrounded by guys who can shoot from pretty much anywhere on the floor and guys who can defend and allow them to switch everything on defense and you know, now it's not like they're just running teams off the floor and outscoring them. They also have a top 10 defensive yeah. unit. So uh, I think, it, you know, obviously getting superstars is really difficult, but then figuring out how to build a team around those superstars is even harder to me because you see a lot of these stranded superstars in the league who are trying to drag these mediocre supporting casts to the playoffs, like Anthony yeah. Davis and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um but then, you know, you have the Rockets who have managed to surround James Harden with a perfect supporting cast. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a credit to Maury. I think he deserves to be rewarded for it. Even a guy like Gerald Green, just quickly before we go to break. I mean, just like signing Gerald Green, returning him to Houston is just like a nice story because, you know, he's from the area. But then for him to like actually come in and make impacts on games, such as that game winner he hit against the Phoenix Suns to keep their winning streak alive. I mean, seriously, like the Daryl Maury's pulled a lot of. Uh, good moves this year, but um, I mean, there's certainly a lot of deserving candidates. You know, you can even look at a guy like Messiah Jury in Toronto. Like he, the way he sort of had the vision to have all these young guys, you know, step into roles, you know, vacated by previous veterans, has been great. Um, even Colby Altman, you can give Colby Altman a ton of credit for yeah. reshaping his team at the trade deadline and you know bringing Kevin, about this team that Kevin Pritchard, Kevin Pritchard, I mean of, of Indiana. Like that's that's also been impressive. So. There's a lot of good candidates as always, but um, yeah, it's it's going to Danny Age guys. Anyway. <laughs> We're going to take another quick break. We'll come back on the other end, and we'll do our playoff flashback. All right, welcome back um, to Pound the Rock. And 
we are going to cap off the podcast with a flashback to the playoffs, as we always do. And this time we picked the 2013 first round matchup between the Denver Nuggets and the uh, up and coming at the time Golden State Warriors. We didn't know this was going to become a dynasty, but um, the I mean, it was a fun series, just all things considered. It was a very, very fun series. We'll talk about that in a second. But I think the biggest story that came from that series was that Andre Godala, as it turned out, was a mole. Um, Andre Iguodala at the time was on the Denver Nuggets. Uh, and, you know, apparently Mark Jackson, who was coaching the Warriors at the time, which seems like forever ago now. Um, but, you know, Mark Jackson said, you know, the Nuggets were sending, quote, hitmen. And I got sources inside of the Nuggets telling me that they don't condone this behavior. And so months later, after George Carl lost his job, because, you know, he lost this game and he lost the series, George Carl said, yeah, it was Andre Godala. And so, and, and, you know, when you look at you know, Andre, of course, he denied it. But, I mean, he signed with the Warriors that summer. He left, um, you know, the Nuggets to join the Warriors. And, of course, it, you know, it, it turned out to be a great decision. You know, you know they've uh, uh, won two championships since. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, look, Andre Godala as the mole. I, I didn't really expect it. Yeah, that, that was crazy because, first of all, that Nuggets team won 57 games. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a 15-game win streak during that season. George Carl wins coach of the year mm-hmm. and gets fired immediately afterward. Crazy. Uh, Masai Ujiri wins executive of the year and goes and signs with Toronto immediately afterward. The organization really kind of crumbles from within mm-hmm. after that series. And I was personally really attached to that Nuggets team because yeah. I've always been attached to the idea that a starless team can win a championship. Mm-hmm. So anytime that possibility presents itself, I immediately find myself fascinated and kind of rooting for that team because... I would love to see a team kind of break that mold and buck the trend. And that team to me was a team that seemed like it could do it because they had this um, really clearly defined identity yep. and they ran like crazy. They were a really strong defensive team and they had this egalitarian offense that worked really well throughout the season. Mm-hmm. And then they get to the playoffs and Steph Curry just absolutely nuked them, like <laughs> yep. went off and uh, ended the dream pretty much. And, then suddenly, uh, you know, the the Nuggets organization has to look in the mirror and figure out how to move forward after basically having its dreams blown to bits by a transcendent talent. Yeah, that to me, you know, obviously the Iggy story was a big part of it. But to me, the memory of that series is Steph Curry taking a flamethrower to the Denver Nuggets franchise. Yeah. That's what happened. Yeah. They lo- Denver won game one of that series at home. Yeah. And then uh, games two through four, which is basically what ended the series because Golden State went up 3-1. Yeah. Those three games, Curry averages 30-10 and 10 on 55-50-100 shooting. My God. Just eviscerates <laughs> them. And then, like Joe mentioned, then the fallout from that is George Carl, after Coach of the Year, gone. Masai Ujiri, after Executive of the Year, leaves for Toronto. Yeah. Um, the Iguodala fallout. Everything yeah. that happened after that. Also, when, when this series was happening... Steph Curry had not made an all-star team yet. Yeah, that's right. And David Lee did. was an all-star right. that year. Yeah. That's right, that's and, right, that's right. You know, Curry had not made an all- Everything happened for Curry after that year. That was really, like, everyone knew who he was before that. You know, mm-hmm. he was a star at Davidson. He had these ankle injuries after. He could never yeah, figure yeah. it out. That was the moment that made Steph Curry, uh, that sent him down the path to turn him into what he is now. Yeah. And from the Nuggets' standpoint, go- that was their 10th straight playoff trip. Right. 
Since then, since Curry went off on them uh, in those three games, they have not made the playoffs since. Mm-hmm. Their attendance, they were always a middle-of-the-pack attendance team. Yeah. I think that year they were 14th. Since that year, 19th, 28th, 30th, 30th. And then this year, slightly bouncing back up to 20th, though, still. Oh, wow. that a lot of people came out to see Paul Millsap. <laughs> that franchise has literally never been the same since right. that moment. And that's what I remember. It's just what Steph Curry single-handedly did to a franchise. Yeah. No, seriously, a phenomenal like it's a really pivotal series is, is what it was, um, and yeah, I mean Iguodala has kind of gets escaped by it now because George Carl's reputation is way worse than anyone else's. I mean, I think Iguodala tweeted out the snake. Yeah, he the was grass. the first. He was the first guy to, first to tweet out the, the like... snake in the grass meme, right? Exactly, which obviously got brought forward by you know Demarcus Cousins and a whole bunch of other players, really. But. Um, yeah. George Carl didn't do himself any favors no, with that book either. No, no. George Carl's one of those guys that was like, I'm going to speak the truth no matter how much it hurts you. And it's just like, no, it turns out you're just kind of a prick. Like, yeah. it just kind of is what it is. So, um, anyway, that does it for this podcast. Thank you to um, Cash and Wolfon for being on the show. As always, we're dropping these episodes on Monday. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Um, if you have the Score app, which you should definitely get the Score app, you can find us there. And we'll be back next week to talk about the playoffs. Oh, 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 oh,